your story doesn't have to end in this chapter here. There's a book being written. You're in the chapter. People get confused between this is the entire book or this is just a chapter of the entire book. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that, absolutely, that's a great way to put it. I mean, it's such important work to help people see, you know, what they're going through, that challenge. It's part of a larger overall story. Yes. Um, going back to rap, like you were talking about, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the th- great things that hip hop does is there's so much struggle, so much pain and so much suffering. That music has integrated that story within the music. That struggle of a lot of those musicians is part of the story. You know, it's they don't, they don't part, rap isn't like, you know, woe is me, you know, my life sucks. Right there. It's it's the opposite of that. It's like how great I am. Life is great. And also I'm talking about my struggles in the context of how, how great life is. What's up guys. Welcome back to episode number 66 of Connection is Magic. This week we have on a super special guest, Trace Bell. He is a spiritual teacher and coach and graduate from UCLA, graduated with a degree in political science. He is also the son of a very well-known author and spiritual teacher himself, Mr. Rob Bell, who has been on Oprah's book tour, also been voted Time Magazine's most 100 influential people several years ago. He's picked up a ton of wisdom from his father, from hanging around Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, all these influential figures as well as doing his own studies and research in consciousness and spiritual development and learning so much along the way. This episode, we get into what makes hip-hop so special, the study of consciousness and growing up, Trace having to navigate, feeling a little bit different and looking for his place to fit in in academia. And we also get into when things don't work out, how it could be such a blessing pretty standard message here on Connections Magic. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Welcome everybody to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to Connection. Welcome everybody to another episode of Connection is Magic. Today I have the wonderful Trace Bell on as a guest. Thank Thank you you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. You are from Michigan, which is where I'm from. You know, what can you tell me about, you know, people in the Midwest? I think uh, Midwest people definitely have a different uh, value set than, than people in other parts of the country, for sure. They have different, there's different things that Midwestern people tend to focus on and value. Tradition is valued a little bit more in the Midwest. Um, I mean, I, I, it's really evident by how crazy people are about college football in the Midwest. I remember, I remember that growing up. Yeah. It's like people are so into college football, like way more into college football than pro sports, which I always found interesting. It's like there's something about the, the sort of like uh, tribalism of college sports that the Midwest loves. Yeah, there definitely is like a, like a Midwest um, hospitality. Um, there definitely is a people love inviting you into their, their, to their homes, um, taking care of you there. Yeah. Midwest is, it's, it's just a different, it's a different world. It, it, the, 
Where's that come from, Trace? Is it the weather? You know, we got it here like in SoCal or California where it's like nice and sunny every day, but the weather just beats the shit out of you. Absolutely. I think the, the weather plays a huge role. I mean, just think like from a survival perspective, the fact that there's a large chunks of the year are like so cold and the weather's so extreme that you can't like go outside and do normal things like the rest of the country can. So that, that puts you in a different kind of mindset as yes. far as surviving and living your life. Um, you also have, I mean, the, you don't have as many artists and creatives in the Midwest because if the, the artists and the creatives really kind of move out West and go to the, the coast. Um, so it's just, it's flat out different industries, different mindset. A lot of the industries are more, um, kind of like, I remember in, in Grand Rapids where I grew up, it was, you know, furniture was the thing and furniture and, um, beer and, uh, kind of, it's a little bit more like producing actual, like physical goods and on the, on the coast and stuff, it's more, um, you know, creating art and stuff. So it's just a whole different, it's just a completely different world. Um, I'm very grateful to have grown up in Michigan because, um, I, I love that it gave me a kind of new, it, 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 I grew up with, with different perspectives. Um, so I didn't just, if I were, you know, just born in Los Angeles, um, I would only have, uh, I mean, obviously Los Angeles has a lot of different perspectives, but, um, it was, it was good to grow up in the Midwest just to kind of get that different view and see how a lot of people live their lives in a lot, a lot of ways people orient themselves towards life. I'm also, I'm very glad though, that I also moved from the Midwest and don't live there anymore. I would not choose to live there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cause we gave, we gave the Midwest their flowers and now we could say what doesn't work for the Midwest about, about, yeah. about us. If you're more creative, it feels like it's very barren there to me for the most yeah. part. Right. It seems like I could just feel it in the air in LA when I'm walking around, like I'm just constantly feeling inspired. That's one of the best parts about LA is just how many creative people are doing, creating amazing things, how many just great ideas there are. You can just feel that, that kind of, you just feel the energy of a place. I mean, it's palpable, I, I, dude. It's totally palpable. Yeah. You just feel the energy. Um, and it's really, really inspiring. Like if you're really creating something and you're really, um, you know, want to be inspired by that kind of energy place, cities like LA are great. For, yeah, for totally. Um, well, let's shift to music. Speaking of creative, because you're really into hip hop. So like, what was like the first hip hop record that like got you? Great question. Um, and it was actually, so my dad is a, my dad's a musician. Um, one of his many titles. Uh, he was, so he, we growing up, there was always different kinds of music being played around the house. He was always, that was one of the things I really appreciated that my dad did as far as music is he was always constantly in the car. We would have like, back when you didn't have the, the aux cord where you could just plug the, the phone in, it was like, you'd have a, in the car, there would be like a, like six slots for CDs. So he would have like six different CDs of like different genres. So it'd be like Rage Against the Machine, Blur, Coldplay. I remember driving around Grand Rapids, Michigan. I must've been like eight or nine. Maybe I was like, maybe I was a little younger than that. And he bought um, Jay-Z's album, uh, I don't remember which album it was. I think it was either Unplugged or maybe it was the Black Album. It was, I think it was the Black Album. Um, and Jay-Z, so Jay-Z was the first rap I heard. And Jay-Z was the first time I like fell in love with rap. Your dad actually listening. turned you on to your first um, hip hop album? That's kind Absol of yeah, it's unexpected. Totally, okay. And I remind, him of it, I remind him of it all the time because sometimes uh, I hear he'll listen to like new rap and he'll be like, man, he's like, I just don't, you know, rap just sounds so, I don't, I don't really understand it. He does this kind of like old man thing a little bit of like, man, this is kind of, this is so new to me. And I'm like, dad, you're the one that showed me rap. You're the one that like showed me, you're the one that got me first into this. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it was, it was Jay-Z was the first album he played that I was like, okay, I find like, I really um, fell in love with rap. And then I remember he bought uh, Kanye West college dropout, late registration and graduation. And he bought all three of those albums. So it was funny mm-hmm. how it first started off with like one rap album in that like six CD slot in the car. And then it turned to like quickly, I got like four albums and then <laughs> it quickly yeah. became the majority in that, that, uh, in the car. Um, totally. so yeah, so, so Jay-Z was the first. Um, that black album. I remember listening like Dirt Off Your Shoulder and uh, Moment of Clarity on that album. Those were some of the songs. That was not the answer I thought you were going to give, but that's great. Okay. The next place I want to take this conversation is for me, why I loved working in music and why I love, I have, you know, so many musician friends. They're able to convey things that I think a lot of us are feeling, especially with those heavier emotions that like a lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing. Right. So we, we, the human experience is like very much, you know, like this. Right. And in those down moments, I feel like, man, people just don't feel comfortable sharing. And what happens is in those down moments, I feel like it ends up making us feel more isolated and disconnected. So there's a reason why I called this podcast connections magic, because you know, the same way that I feel like a song that you listen to can have an effect, making you feel not as alone, making you feel connected. I think conversations have the power to do that as well. Absolutely. Um, That's, that's beautiful connection period. I mean, that's what so many people um, desire. And that's what so many people seek is we, so many people live these fragmented lives. Some people just don't have, um, you know, a lot of connections that are very meaningful in their life. So whether it be through music, conversations, conversations about music, um, there's, yeah, the, the, the connection connecting with another human on that kind of deeper levels is, is really satisfying just for the soul. Yeah. hundred percent. There's this weird irony going on. Obviously we've never been more connected, but we've never been more disconnected in some ways too. Right. Because, you know, digital can, you know, you know, have us feeling like we're not getting that full richness of connection. You or your friends, are you aware of that? Totally. This was something that I experienced at at UCLA. Um, I was blown away by how um, unsocial a lot of people were at at UCLA and how like the social scene at UCLA was way different than I thought it was going to be. It was way, um, way less people interacted and there was way less kind of um, connecting and, and, uh, social interaction with people at UCLA. And the thing that was really interesting to me about it was um, a lot of people you could tell had some sort of <clears throat> social anxiety or social fears. Um, and they would even be kind of honest about having some, some were honest about having social anxiety, but the, we have these, these phones and we have these computers and we have so much entertainment at our fingertips. And like you're saying, we have this, all this technology that it lets us kind of go through Twitter, go through Instagram, go through, uh, go through TikTok. We have all this technology that allows us to kind of connect with each other online. But the thing at UCLA I noticed was that a lot of people, they, they had all of that at their fingertips. So they weren't actually ever forced to go out and actually just like interact face to face. So it was like interesting how many people I noticed in the dorms would just sit on their phones all day and just kind of scroll on their phones all day and just kind of scroll on social media, but not actually interact with their own people. They wouldn't even know that they're people on their own floor. So it's like the, my generation, I've noticed it's like, because we're not forced to actually 
interact face-to-face -face in a lot of ways because we just have all this entertainment right here. A mm. lot of people, they don't actually ever go out and like learn those social skills and actually have that like face-to-face -face kind it's of- It's like, like not in their wheelhouse. Almost, it's like totally not in their wheelhouse. Wow. So it's totally, a, it's, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's totally a weird paradox where all this technology has granted us the ability to connect like never before we can, we can connect with people all over the world and on our phones and computers. Instantly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, we're like less connected and more disconnected in a, in a deeper kind of way. What you're seeing with a lot of my generation is um, you're kind of seeing the pendulum swing to this kind of technology. And then you'll see, I think there'll be the future will be sort of a more reintegration of like the technology is great and it's great. I mean, you and I can just hop on, on, on the computer and talk from across the other side of the state um, and I've, I've been working with people from, you know, New Zealand, Australia, people all over the world. So that technology is great. And it's great how we can connect through tech, through, through technology, but also the future will be reint reintegrating the ability to actually just kind of communicate and connect and like face. So you're, face you're optimistic about things then think it'll, the pendulum will kind of find its middle. I mean, I, I teach spirituality and consciousness for a living. So um, I teach the, one of the things I teach is just how consciousness consciousness has this upward trajectory of moving towards more growth, more inclusion, more compassion. So if you look at human history, um, humans, humans develop um, in this sort of linear upward trajectory. Um, so there's, we have, you know, pitfalls and we have, um, you know, certain generations that are missing certain things, but I just think there's the, just because of the evolutionary nature of um, humanity and the world, things correct themselves over time. And I think that um, people, I think we have a very, um, I think we're getting to a, a COVID kind of accelerated it, but I think we're getting to a point where a lot of people feel very deprived and very disconnected. And I think there's going to be a natural sort of readjustment. I think a lot of people are going to realize like how important it is um, to connect in other ways because, because, you know, the internet has been so a way that a lot of people have connected. I just, I just see a corrective readjustment. So I'm very, I'm optimistic. I don't know if it's going to be my generation. I don't know if it's going to be the generation behind mine. I don't know who it's going to be, but I just see that, that people kind of, um, yeah, kind of the pendulum swinging a little bit more and kind of reintegrating. I'm a glass half full guy. So I appreciate <laughs> that viewpoint. Your dad's a pretty well-known author. And I feel like I remember being, he does, he's done shows for a while. Right. I remember being at one of his shows like way back in the day and he had this weird looking whiteboard. Does that, have you seen this board? It's yep, like this, everything is spiritual to her. I want to relay something I heard him say and see how this sits with you. Uh, so he's like a lot of our darkest, most challenging moments in life, like end up being like our biggest blessing on the other mm -hmm. side talking about talking about almost tying into what you're saying about how things like correct how the pendulum swings it's like things can be so so bad but then it comes back you know what i'm saying and then you're like oh my god whoa what a gift um yeah just tell me how that sits with you that whole that whole idea of how life kind of works that, that way well i i love that you brought that up because that to me is one of the the sort of main uh, the main value, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd say, I don't know what, what, what wording I would use here, but I would say it's, it's one of the main values of spirituality to me is to see that, um, a, a spiritual perspective on life is seeing that life is being done for us rather than life happening to us. So a lot of people have this sort of victim state about life of life is constantly happening to me. There's all these outside factors that are against me. Life is this like thing that I'm at the mercy of and I'm victim to. And so bad things in my life are just bad things that happen to me. And I'm a victim to these bad things. Um, 
and seeing the, per, the, the perspective of life is actually happening for us, which is oftentimes a more kind of mature spiritual perspective is seeing that even the bad things in our life are still, they still taught us something. They're still for our growth. And, and, and what my dad has done such an amazing job teaching is like the moments that were the caused the most suffering, the most pain oftentimes triggered the most growth and the most expansion. hundred um, percent. So that, so that ability to just see you, you, you don't, ha- you still acknowledge the pain of, of the painful moments of your life. You don't dis- diminish them at all. You just fit them in a larger perspective. You fit them in this perspective where you're seeing all of it as being done for you. And you're not a victim to that circumstance. That c- circumstance actually grew you. So life, life grows us and expands us through the good moments. And it also ex- it, it, um, grows us and expands us through the low moments. Almost well. more so through the, the harder moments. Totally. My, I've been through many of these moments in my life, mm-hmm. dude. It's almost like being pushed off of a skyscraper being like thinking you're going to die. And like, you're going, you're like going down. You're like, Oh my God, this is insane. But then when you land, it's on like a a bed of feathers or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, like, Whoa. And there's a, there's kind of a profound quote out there by this author, Terrence McKenna, who talks about this. Love him. Yeah. Oh, you know him. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His quote goes something like, you know, to fling yourself into the abyss and realize it was a bed of, a bed of feathers or something. Mm. I'm like, man, that is that's dope to me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's funny to bring this conversation like full circle. We start off talking about hip hop particularly, and there's so much strife with a lot of these hip hop artists. I mean, you know, growing up in like abject poverty, obviously like all the racial implications and the system riding against you and just coming out of that, it's sort of creating this diamond in, in a lot of cases, that's kind of the, one of the things that draws me into hip hop, man, is I, I love seeing that so much, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that, I mean, hip hop, hip hop, I think it was, was it two years ago or a couple of years ago, surpassed rock as the number one genre yeah. in the U S it's like, yeah. it's, by, it's the number one genre now. And I think it's because hip hop has the most compelling storylines. Everyone mm. it's constantly, mm. when you listen to rap, there's constantly, a, there's a, the, the energy and the storyline behind um, the stories and the music is just so compelling and anyone can, can get behind it. It's a, it's a wild, it's an absolutely wild genre. Um, and it's a, it's a tragedy that so there's, you know, there's a certain demographic that has to go through so much pain and suffering. And, and we've created mm-hmm. the system that's, there's so much inequality. Uh, and the, the, again, I'm very optimistic about the future um, of, you know, sort of leveling out some of that inequality. And, and I'm, totally support reparations for African-Americans and, and some, some economic initiatives that actually would get these people some safety nets and some, some structural underpinning. But the genre is just a, just a fascinating genre. And you're absolutely right. There's the, everyone can, everyone, that, that story of, of rising up from, from nothing to, to becoming successful is always a compelling story. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's just, yeah. Not to say like, I don't, you know, we, we don't respect other people that didn't come from that, but oh, there's of course, something yeah. about, yeah, there's something about there's, that. There's also tons of great rappers who didn't come from poverty too. I, I mean, the idea, that, the idea that you need to come from poverty and have this sort of rags and riches story to make great music has been, this totally not true. Childish Gambino, if I'm not mistaken, I think he, he comes from pretty well means if I'm not mistaken. And he's a pretty awesome rapper. I mean, that's, that's, one of the really cool things about rap too, is you're seeing all these different people from different areas with different stories, weaving their stories. in. it's like rap has become so much more kind of like universal and seeing the different stories in it now are really fascinating. I had on uh, Tyler, the creator's manager was like one of the last episodes. And he talks about basically kind of being told no and how that could put some people in a very depressive place 
and all that. But then it can also fuel some people, right? Um, talk to me about in your path, if you felt dismissed or you had some talent that wasn't being recognized, um, how did you walk through that? Great question. Um, and so one of the, one of the interesting things about, uh, growing up for me was we moved around a lot. We moved a lot around, uh, Michigan. So I was changing schools a lot. And then we, when we moved to California, uh, we moved around to California a couple of times and I changed schools a lot. So it was very interesting for me, my, my school career, um, I was very, wherever, whatever school I went, I was very social and I had a lot of friends, but I never fully, I, could, I never played on any of the sports teams later in high school because um, we were, we were moving so much. So it was like, it was too hard to like stick on a sports team. Um, it, I never really fully, I, ne- I never got um, into like the, the AP classes, even though I probably should have been in some of those classes. I never really got into the more advanced classes. So I kind of, it was, school was very weird and disorienting for me because I kind of just like went through it but I could never really find my place in school. So I was very confused at where I fit in. You know, I, I get places and people like me and, and, and I have friends, but like, I can't really, I, I don't really have a place like in the more advanced classes. I don't really have a place in any of the sports teams. I kind of just like, just kind of like roam around and I can't really find my place. And then I went to uh, Fairfax high school in Los Angeles, met a lot of great people there. Um, didn't get a lot of learning done there. Not the, not the greatest school. It's a, it's an LAUSD underfunded. It's very sad. It's not, it's not a very, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, learning there. So that was my senior year. I couldn't really figure out my path. So I ended up going to Cal state LA. Cause it was like one of the colleges I could get into. I was just not stimulated. I was really bored there. The classes weren't challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to Los Angeles city college, my sophomore year. Um, again, I was really bored there, but did, got good grades. And then I transferred to UCLA and I'm, I'm telling this story to just say, like, I could never, I don't know if it was exactly feeling dismissed, but I could just, I never could figure out my place. I could never could figure out like, you know, should I be going, what kind of college should I be going to how it, it was because my col- my high school career was so fragmented. And we moved Let, let's break so that down trace. If you don't mind, like, what were you, were you feeling quite sad about that at times or just kind of confused. I think mm-hmm. like, I didn't even really like know enough to be like sad. I was just kind of confused because also we had moved from, we'd moved to LA when I was 17. So right there during my senior year. So I didn't really have, I had like friends at school, but I didn't really have a ton of, uh, I just didn't really like know a ton of people in LA yet. And I was just kind of like confused at what I should be doing just to, to fast forward in the story. So I get to UCLA and it's like, okay, like here, I actually feel, um, somewhat challenged by my classes. I actually finally figured out like, this is probably UCLA, like, like a, uh, more a top academic university. It's like, okay, this is more my place. But then quickly at UCLA, I got so bored of UCLA. I wasn't able to find my place. It's so academic and just kind of everything exists within the head that it felt very, felt very soulless. And it felt very kind of lifeless in a lot of ways. It felt like a lot of, um, it felt sort of like a school kind of like factory almost where it was just pushing you through. Um, and it was really lacking. There was no sort of, um, talk of anything d- deeper um, spiritually. There was no sort of connection that anyone had to anything larger than just themselves. It felt really kind of soulless and lifeless. So then I got to UCLA, quickly UCLA. I felt super out of place at UCLA. Throughout my school career, it's been very strange how I've just kind of felt out of place and confused about where I fit in. 
now that I've been, you know, a year out of UCLA and sort of working, um, I had some, some pretty, some pretty profound spiritual awakenings after I graduated college. Um, and then wait, I wait, of, don't breeze over that. <laughs> like I want to no, know, I know. Those were. I'm, I'm putting those. some, I'm putting some okay. interesting, okay. I'm putting some interesting, uh, some interesting details that we can come back to. So I had some big awakenings and then I started teaching with my dad. I started doing more podcasts with him. I did a series called Saturday school with him, um, where we taught, um, taught together. And then I started working with people directly. So I started doing my own courses, my own sessions where I was working with people, um, my own classes, um, and actually working with people and, and teaching spirituality, teaching consciousness is like the first time that I've felt like, okay, here's my, here's my, uh, here's my place. You know what I mean? All or this Dar- stuff Dharma, my life, it's called, right? Totally. All these things throughout my life felt kind of fragmented and, and I couldn't really find my place in school. And it was very strange. I, I had friends, but didn't really have a lot of like deep connections with them. Cause it just, I couldn't really mm-hmm. fully relate to them. You know what it is? I felt dismissed by the kind of, uh, academic system and the kind of system I grew up in. It's like, I just felt like I wasn't fully school was always a little boring to me. Um, I did well, but it was always kind of boring to me. I just never felt like it really um, met me where I was at. And Primarily really because you felt there wasn't enough heart in that realm, right? It, totally. Yeah. Heart. I just yeah. felt very, very mind dominated, which I can do. I did great. I did great mm-hmm. in school and I can do the mind stuff. But to me, it just, it was lacking heart and it was lacking. I, I Once I had my awakenings, I realized why, you know, that whole school system really felt like it kind of failed me. It was because it never actually... Um, it was never actually, it, it didn't integrate the heart. It was only existed. It only just stayed up in the mind. Let's go back to your big spiritual awakenings. I'm sure the listeners are kind of wanting to know what those were. I think it's important to kind of start with um, how I was as a kid. So um, just give a little bit of backstory because it'll help ex- explain my awakenings a little bit. Um, so people are, are kind of surprised when I tell them that I, I never considered myself Christian and I never considered myself religious because they know my dad and they know that my dad, you know, my parents started a max, massive mega church in Grand Rapids and my dad was a Christian author and a Christian. But if I'm uh, not mistaken, he kind of moved a little bit away from traditional uh, Christian uh, role. Yeah, yeah. I, he, he, he matured out of that sort of, you know, organized religious yeah. kind of Christian structure um, throughout his life. But I never... I, I was never that involved in the church and I was just never really that interested in Christianity. I was one of those kids that was like, had these like really, I was just always fascinated by the, like the nature of the universe. I was just fascinated by, I had these like deep metaphysical questions about like, why is there something rather than nothing? Like I look around the world and I see things and I see something, it makes much more sense for there just to be nothing. Like it just makes, it makes more sense for the world to just be nothing. Why are there things? Like I had these really deep kind of wonder and awe about reality itself and about this whole experience that I was having. And the thing that inter- the thing that always fascinated me most was consciousness. All of our experience we perceive through consciousness, it's always right here, but I can't really like, I can't really describe it. I can't really put my finger on it. I can't really give it like a shape or a texture or a color. Like what is consciousness? It's like, it's always here, but you can't, can't put your finger on it. It's kind of, uh, it's like invisible. Um, so consciousness. And why is that? Don't you feel like, because like a lot of that we're so inundated with stimulus that it kind of makes us forget it's right here. Consciousness is the the beautiful mystery that's staring us all in the face. Um, 24 seven, but it's, but this, see, this is why I love, this is why I love consciousness is because it's such a paradox. It's we miss it because it's always right here. It's hidden right in plain sight. It's always right here. It's always right now. So I remember as a kid reading about, there's a thing called the hard problem of consciousness, which is 
science hasn't come up with an adequate theory for how the brain produces consciousness because it's believed by a lot of believed by mainstream science that well consciousness is just something that's produced by our brain it's just material interactions that produce mm -hmm. consciousness mm -hmm. which we know that the brain correlates with our experience and, and impacts our experience. But the idea that somehow when matter, because the, the brain is, they say the brain is made out of matter, somehow when matter reaches enough complexity, they just say it just magically produces consciousness, but there's no actual theory for how um, the, the brain just magically produces consciousness. It'd be like saying if um, you put enough cards in a deck, then the card would learn how to play poker. The richness of subjective experience, how that somehow is magically produced by just complexity of matter has never been actually explained because it's too big of a leap. So this is a thing, the hard problem of consciousness is actually a thing in academic and philosophical and scientific circles because it's the hard problem is there's actually not a way to adequately ex explain how matter produces consciousness. So it's all theories at this point then, right? It's, it's totally all it's totally yeah. all theories because we can't figure out how um, how the brain somehow gives rise to subjective experience. That's never been explained. So I was I was reading that as a kid. So I was always like, okay, hold on. This, this, miss, this thing that's always fascinating to me, consciousness, that's always here, always right now. Science is, is people just kind of walk around and science is telling me that this is produced by the brain. And this just, you know, this consciousness, when your body dies and your brain dies, then your consciousness goes with it. But at the same time, they're literally admitting that they don't have a theory for how the brain produces consciousness. Wait, hold on. This whole thing is way more mysterious and wacky than a lot of people are giving it credit for. So consciousness was always the thing that fascinated me most. And I would ask my dad questions about it. It was like the mystery that sat at the heart of reality for me. What life event though, Trace, preceded that? Because I always feel like to get a big awakening or something, some major life event or something, is a, whether it was a breakup with a girl or like, you know, or you move to a new state or, you know, something. What, try and think back to that. Great question. And I would say, um, well, if I had a med I had a solid meditation practice for a couple of years. So meditation slowly started, as I slowly deepened uh, my meditation practice over time, that really started to just um, deepen my sort of experience of consciousness and deepen my, my realization. And then it was really graduating from UCLA. I was so, we talk about, you know, low moments actually being triggers for growth and expansion. I was so frustrated um, and angry by the, at, the t at the end of UCLA. Um, I was so frustrated with the whole experience. I was so frustrated by the fact that I felt like I had finally found my place. And then it ended up not being my place. Um, I was just kind of frustrated with life itself. Um, and it felt like that because I was so frustrated with life itself, because it was like such a low moment, it showed me like, I can't keep living from this perspective. I can't keep living from this, um, negative perspective. That's mad at the world. That's mad at life. That feels like life is being done to me rather than life happening for me. So life happening to us rather than for us. That's a constant, that's a constant challenge. That's, that's part of the human drama and part of the human experience, even the most mature, um, you know, advanced spiritual person still deals with that in their life. Cause I will say this though, as somebody that's like gone through the near death experience, chronic health issues, bu constant bullying in school. Like I've had a million of these. Right. And I think one of the things that gets overlooked with age is it's true. Like as you age and go through more of these, there's just a little more grace, not to say it like it's never easy to go through these things, but there, you are able to do it with a little bit more grace because you've got a little bit more, you know, hindsight in you, you know what I'm oh, saying? 
Absolutely. And, yeah. and I, you learn, I mean, you, you learn from all those experiences too. And you took those, you took those experiences as invitations to grow. So like now you are handling those, those future experiences in your life. You're handling them from such a more mature and evolved place, um, which is really, really commendable because a lot, a lot of people don't do that. Um, wow. but you're absolutely right. Life, life is handing you challenges so that you grow, so that you evolve, so that when you have challenges late in your life, you're able to handle them even better. A little more grace, Trey. A, li- a little more grace, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the challenge to to see that life is is happening for us is rather than to us is something that life is constantly presenting us with challenges and obstacles that are testing that muscle and strengthening that muscle. Um, yes. So I'm I'm definitely like being an endurance athlete, man. How are we going to be able to run that you know marathon right unless we're in the gym? Life gives us plenty of opportunities, Trace, to be in the gym doing reps. And, Absolutely. And, and, right. But the key is, and, and the work that I'm doing too, is trying to help people that have these adverse experiences and try and put them down the channel of, no, this could be a beautiful thing for you in the, in the bigger picture of your life. This, your story doesn't have to end in this chapter here. There's a book being written. You're in the chapter. You're, you're, people get confused between this is the entire book or this is just a chapter of the entire book. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I mean, it's such important work to help people see, you know, what they're going through that challenge. It's part of a larger overall story. Yes. Um, and yes. like going back to rap, like you were talking about, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the th- great things that hip hop does is there's so much struggle and so much pain and so much suffering. And, it's, yes. and, and that music has integrated that story within the music that's st- that integrated that, that, that struggle um, of a lot of those musicians is part of the story. You know, it's, they don't, they don't part rap. Isn't like, you know, woe is me. You know, my life sucks. Right it's, there. Yes, it's, yes. it's the opposite of that. It's like how great I am. Life is great. And it also, I'm also talking, I'm talking about my struggles in the context of how life, how great life is. So, you know, you've been able to, you know, as a teacher yourself and, and, and growing up around your dad, who's been doing this, you know, a very long time. Right. Like who else have you been able to learn from? I wonder, like, you know, can you cite some teachers, authors that have had a really big influence on your growth outside of uh, your dad? Mm, great question. Yeah. Um, there's a f- philosopher named Ken Wilber, who I love, who my dad's a, a really influenced my dad. I mean, some of the people I just met through my dad, like my Elizabeth Gilbert is a close family friend. Mm-hmm. Who she wrote, mm-hmm. he pray love, um, fantastic human being. Um, I remember my dad went on tour with Oprah in 2014 and I went with him cause I was doing online school at the time. Um, and I went with him on that tour. So I remember riding around with Elizabeth Gilbert. I remember riding around with Deepak Chopra. Um, I remember like Deepak Chopra talking about consciousness and just being like a 16 year old, just being like, Oh, just like blown away. And sort of, <laughs> so I, I remember when I think back, I remember some of those experiences like, Oh yeah, those were definitely like some pretty profound experiences that were kind of exposing me to, you know, great teachers just right up close. That may, that makes sense. So really it was on this tour that your dad did with like Oprah and Deepak and stuff like that's kind of where the seeds were planted for you to kind of be on the path that you're on now, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think that it, it was very, it was interesting being super, like as a kid, I was like super curious about reality and, and life. So I always had this deep kind of fascination. And then I was kind of doing my own, you know, exploration and my own reading. And then I was around, and then I was also influenced tremendously by just the environment I was in, having my dad and then like knowing other spiritual teachers um, and being up close. It all influenced me. Uh, I talk about how I have this uh, 
series I do called how to talk to your kids about spirituality, where I work with parents about how to talk, how to create a spiritual environment for their kids, how to talk to their kids about spirituality. And I, I have this section in there called influence versus autonomy, which I say that you, you influence your kids spirituality by your way of being and your spirituality, but ultimately they remain autonomous in their own journey. So it's this constant balance of influence versus autonomy. So for my story, I was influenced tremendously by the environment I was in and hanging out with Deepak hang, and being around my dad, but ultimately was my own journey and me being autonomous on my own journey and finding my own teachers like, like Rupert Spira, finding that, that the, my, the books that spoke most to me, um, it, was a, it was a balance of being influenced by my environment, but also remaining autonomous. Out of all the things like you feel like that you might've like picked up from being around your dad, like what's, what's something at the top of the list for you that that's been really helpful for you. The thing that always was the most impressive to me about my dad is that he always just, he, he always authentically lived everything he was teaching. Mm. Um, Every, all the, the, all the Bible teachings, all the Jesus teachings, I could see over time that it was just, it was making him a better parent, a more loving human. Um, I could see that it was just making him a better, more vibrant human. Um, and I've always been, no matter how successful my dad got, he's, he's never let that, he's never had like a, an ego. Um, he's never let that sort of, um, dim, he's never let that give him too, too big of an ego. I've always been so um, impressed and I loved the fact that my dad is, con- it's always interesting. My dad is always asking more questions than other people are asking him when we're just in normal settings. My dad's very, very curious. Um, that, that was another value I love for my dad was just how curious he was. And he was always, no matter who it is, he's always asking questions about their life, asking questions about what they know about. Um, I, no matter how successful he got, he was always the one asking people questions, curious about their lives. When I worked in the music business, you know, um, in a professional capacity, I was at major labels and stuff like that. I was, I was always like in awe of people that had, you know, done significant things and seen a lot of success and still remained humble. That was the one thing that I was drawn towards and the people who like, you know, weren't humble anymore. And that just always a turnoff to me. I don't know why I just, I just, I just, it's just hard to be around that. So, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. The second thing you said you shared was curiosity uh, and how he's remained curious. I, I did listen to the audio book uh, not long ago of everything is spiritual. I think mm-hmm. he dropped that one last year. The quote that stuck out to me was when he said, curiosity can be an antidote to despair. I don't know if you mm. remember him like that. He, that was in the book. And I was like, dude, that's good. Cause when you're in despair, when something's gone sideways back to the earlier part of our conversation, the easy thing to do is to like, you know, get flattened out by it and just think that this is all bad. And, but curiosity is like what allows us to get to the place where, no, this is happening for me, not to me. How is this happening for me? Right. That's a beautiful line. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you reminded me of that line because when we're, when we're curious about something and we have curiosity, it's showing, it's showing us that we have wonder and awe about something. There's something that's inspiring wonder and awe in us. And to me, spirituality is about having wonder and awe about yes. the whole experience. Curiosity is the engine of uh, spirituality. That was one of the things that I 
appreciate it most about growing up in my household is that curiosity was such an important value. It was, mm. We were always encouraged. My parents were never concerned. Even when my parents were part of the, you know, part of the church and part of the religious structure, they were never concerned or worried that I wasn't Christian or didn't consider myself religious. Mm. They only ever encouraged my curiosity. Um, let me know that it was okay. And like, like I said, encouraged actually asking questions and, and, um, curiosity was something they, I could tell that they were really happy and loving the fact that I was curious and had wonder and awe about stuff. So, um, I'm, I'm really grateful to come from a curious household because it was a huge value on my totally. journey. You know, finding your path one of the, one of the most powerful moments of our conversation today is when you're feeling a bit like an odd duck out and you're like, where, where do I belong? And then, and then it just clicks like two puzzle pieces, like coming together, right? Like you finally had that moment and I'm, I'm so happy for you because that, that to me is where life starts getting really juicy, really, Thank you. really fun. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, where can people find you? Maybe just shout out your, your IG handle or uh, other, other areas people can find you. Yeah. So all my social media is Trace Bell and that's uh, Bell with three L's. So T-R-A-C-E-B-E-L-L-L. I did the three L's because uh, my real name isn't actually Trace. My real name is Robert and my dad's name is Robert Bell and my grandpa's name is Robert Bell and I'm the third Robert Bell. And Trace was, so Trace was a nickname growing up because Trace is three in Spanish, but it's spelled T-R-A-C-E. Then my website is also Trace Bell with three L's. Um, dot com. So T-R-A-C-E-B-E-L-L or yeah, B-E, sorry, T-R-A-C-E-B-E-L-L-L.com. All that letter talk kind of made me mess up the letters <laughs> on my, but all, yep. So my site is, uh, yep. My site is tracebell.com where Love people it. can find me. So people can find my, my courses, um, my, my sessions, more audio, the podcast, the four part series that I was talking about. People can find all my work over at um, my website and there's a bunch of new work coming too. We got a YouTube channel coming. Um, we got, uh, more meditations coming we got a bunch of stuff coming on there. So people can find all that at my site, T-R-A-C-E-B-E-L-L-L.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Trace. This has been really fun, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Take care and thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time, please stay connected.